Welcome to the Atypical Rainbow. I'm Paul. And I'm Grant. And this is the second episode in the Relationships Trilogy as part of the Spectrum Analysis series. Uh, Today we're going to talk about romantic relationships and autism. And I want to start from the same point of reference as the last episode. So if you haven't listened to the last episode about friendships and ASD, we are going to refer back to that a little bit. So I would recommend you listen to that one before you jump into this one. Um, So there was a patient that I saw. Uh, who was quite depressed and quite lonely. Uh, one of the things that he really wanted was to have friends because he was struggling to develop and maintain friendships for various reasons. But one of the key things that he was very specific about was that he wanted to be in a heterosexual romantic relationship. He wanted to meet a girl and wanted to be in a relationship. And the the part of the issue was that he... He'd gone through social skills training, he tried putting himself out there, and he struggled a lot. But let's face it, all of us do. Like, dating is not an exact science. It's not the most fun for everyone. I mean, some people love it, and they love the dating experience, but I don't imagine that's a good proportion of people. Um, But he particularly was feeling so lonely, and I think he was um, feeling that being in a romantic relationship would solve his loneliness. And internally, I went, that's a lot of pressure to put on someone, to, to have this one person be the solution to your depression. Uh, and I, like, and I, I, trying to explain to this guy about this, the nuances of relationships was a struggle, but romantic relationships even more so, because it's one thing to have friends. With friends, there's a little bit of a distance. So, both physical and emotional, where you can, you know, interact with each other on the level that suits you, but when you don't want to interact with each other, it's a bit, um, it's a bit easy. You can spend time away from each other. Traditional romantic relationships, that's not necessarily the case. And the way that this guy, I felt like he would treat a romantic relationship would have been to the point of controlling and possessive, but not through any malicious means, but because of insecurity. Um, and that worried me because I'm like, I, I just thought to myself, you are not ready to be in a romantic relationship. You just, you just don't, I don't think you have the right skills, but then no one really does. Like no one goes into a relationship having all the right skills to be in a relationship. Unless we're talking like if you've been divorced or you, you know, you've had been in a marriage and then you're into your second relationship where you've learned all these lessons. And even then it may be the wrong lessons you've learnt. You may be applying the same lessons to this other person who in no way resembles the previous partner. So it's just so many complicated factors in relationships um, that I just, I didn't really know how to address this issue. Because sure, let's say that um, you could find, uh, matchmake him somehow, right? So he, this particular person was of Asian descent uh, and matchmaking is fairly common in Asian communities. So let's say he did get matched up to someone by this matchmaker. What then, right? What is how would he and his wife engage on a on a significant emotional level? Not to say that he can't do it, but with the way that he's approaching it, I just felt like that was it was just leading to disaster. How do you teach someone that when they're so lonely and so desperate and so needing this romantic relationship? I think one of the things with relationships and ASD is that in a way, sometimes you just have to learn by actually doing it, which is probably seems counterintuitive. Yeah, and certainly not not within the realm of, of typical um, autistic behaviours, where, again, you know, it's about finding the rules and, and figuring out how to do it, you know? Yeah, I also think with this particular person that he 
Like, the thing that he's very lonely already and having trouble making friends is... would probably make it a very intense situation mm. for the other person. Which is why, at the end of the last episode, I suggested he progress from a dog to multiple human friends and then a romantic relationship. Because yeah. I think one of the most important things to remember about a romantic relationship is that you you cannot be everything for that person and they cannot be everything for you. Which is why it's important to have friends who can fill those gaps. Um, who can, yeah. So if you are expecting someone to be everything for you because you have no friends, then they're probably going to fail. I think a lot of autistic people that I've come across seem to expect their partner to be everything or expect their partner to be, I guess, something very specific and then it's very hard for that partner to sort of fit into that, I guess... Pigeonhole? Pigeonhole. Mm. And I think also it's very hard for people who have no experience of autism to be in a romantic relationship with someone who has autism. Yeah. Like, I remember I said to you at one point... Um, that it would be easier if neither of us had autism, but harder if only one of us had it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because all, you know, you and I have been together now for 12 years, as of um, not that long ago, actually. And we've been through a lot. We've we've been through Mm -hmm. a fair share of fights and struggles and exhaustions. And, um, and a lot of it, I would, I would bring back to autism to some degree. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember very early on in our relationship, I made the very vital mistake that most people would hear and go, why did you do that? Why would you ever do that? And I went, well, I had no other experience, um, which is that I kept comparing you to my ex-boyfriend. Yes. Uh, and like, on our first date. Well, yeah. So every, but every... I gave you a second chance, which is what the last episode ended as a positive. Give them a second chance. Indeed. Because well, you did not do everything right on the first date. No, right? But, but the reason why I did it was not because I was trying to make you feel bad or anything, but it was my frame of reference. I'd only hmm. ever been in one serious relationship, and it was all I knew. And I wanted to not repeat the same mistakes, but I was very honest with you about it. Too much so. Far too much so. But I learnt my lesson, and I've had to continue learning lessons as we've gone along about, you know, about communication, but about expressing your emotions. Because one of the other things is that um, when I feel overwhelmed, I shut down. That's my thing, right? When I'm angry, uh, when I'm sad, I isolate myself, and that's how I handle things. But, you know, when you're on your own, you can do that. That's easy. You know, Mm -hmm. you're living with housemates, you go to your room, no one cares. But when you're in a relationship, your partner might think, did I do something wrong? Did I, Mm -hmm. how did I, you know, how can I help? And... You know, Grant is a very empathetic, very loving person. You always want to help. You always want to come in and fix things. And I'm like, I'm complete opposite. I'm like, no, just let me deal with it. Leave me alone. But I didn't know how to communicate that. No, actually, that's a lie. I didn't think I had to communicate it. And that was the problem, right? You did spend a lot of time early on expecting me to read your mind. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it's funny because, and this is a bit of a frivolous example, but I watch uh, sitcoms from the 90s and the 2000s. And I watch them, I think... What are you morons doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you making these mistakes? I don't understand. Why do you keep thinking they're going to read your mind? Why do you think it's the job of the man or the woman to just, like, meet your needs? Or to do what you say? And it just, it, it drove me insane. Because I think, this is, I know it's not funny to be, you know, logical and pragmatic. But at the same time, there are these stereotypes out there that perpetuate these kinds of 
not necessarily gender roles, but relationship roles and what the mm. point of a relationship is. And then you have... So if you have a, a person with autism who's watching this stuff and makes the assumption that this is what reality is like, of course these problems are going to perpetuate themselves in future relationships because it's just going to keep happening, you know? Yeah, like I think... Like there was one time you said to me, you're like, this is not like the movies told me it would be. Yeah, yeah. And you were completely serious. Not, not like, ha, 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 the movies were that. You were like, isn't... Isn't love meant to be a certain way? Isn't relationships meant to be a certain way? Because the movies told me this. Mm. So I think when you say people don't enter the relationship with the right tools, you definitely didn't. Yes, I definitely did not. I think I entered the relationship with more tools than you did. Yeah, we still didn't match though. Like that, No, no, but I think I... Like the things with like giving you a second chance and kind of just having some understanding, I think came from having more experience of having relationships than you yeah um so i think i had more tools to uh deal with like yeah i think if we had the same lack of pro- like the lack of understanding we would have just clashed and gone our separate ways many years ago <laughs> but also the fact of the matter is that on a number of levels we do connect and i think that's that's what i'm yes. saying about relation about friendships is that if you give someone enough chances, you may find that you develop a, a good bond and the mm. good ends up outweighing the bad overall. Yeah, but uh, you are also only focused on the negatives, so... Yes, which I've gotten better at. I'm not you have gotten better at. You are much better at speaking about the fact that you like the good and the and you're grateful for the connections. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I, but certainly early on, I was very much like, is this relationship what I want to be in because it's not perfect? Mm-hmm. Um, because I had romanticised what a relationship should be. Mm-hmm. Even though in certain respects, I was a little bit more realistic. So one of the comments that I'm sure I've mentioned on the podcast before, but I'll bring it up in the context now, is there was a time when uh, you were out playing Dungeons and Dragons and I was at home and with the kids I think and my mum was around and she's like where's Grant and mm. and I'm like he's out with his friends and she's like why aren't you with him and I went because I don't like Dungeons and Dragons and he has his own life and she's like but you're married you should do everything together and my mum is one of those classic women who drags their husband shopping you know have, mm. puts him in a husband chair and does their own thing and I thought that doesn't make sense I was to in a me. meeting with your mum a couple of months ago it must have been because we were before we were locked down when this meeting for quite a long time, and then she's like, I have to go because I left him in the car. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you just think, like, I don't even know why she'd brought him, but she left him in the car. And I had been completely unaware of this for like an hour while we're in a, like a financial meeting. And then she's like, oh yeah, he's been in the car for too long. I'm like, what? Yeah. Anyway, so I think that, you know, we've, we've both had to kind of learn about stuff. Like one, I remember early on, one of the things that, you, you, you have this sentimentality about inanimate objects, right? And I have oh, yeah, it too. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not saying it's an exclusively you mm-hmm. thing. But I distinctly remember when we first were living together, which was not long after we would, we'd started dating. About eight or nine months. Yeah, thereabouts. Because yeah. you, you need somewhere to live. That's a much longer, different story. Yeah, yeah it was um, a very sudden, unplanned... Yeah. De facto in. Anyway, so you had you had your study desk because we were sharing this room and we were living in a house with about four other people, mm-hmm. and so your desk was in our bedroom and you had this pile of paper that you left in front of the door, like not in front of the door, like right yeah. in front, but in kind of the the path between the door and the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it never moved, right? And like it was work related, like it was related to your job. Yeah, but it wasn't like you were referring to it frequently. And I would ask you politely. 
or no, actually, I would ask you, sometimes rudely, sometimes politely, um, can you please sort this out? And you say yes, but it just never happened, right? Mm-hmm. And it became a point of frustration for me because, again, the autism in me is like, no, this needs to be a certain way. I had some logic to my argument, like, why is this on the floor? Why can't, does, is this a tripping hazard? Blah, blah, blah. But really, the emotional reaction was, this is not my way. Why is this not my way? Yeah, I think that that's one of the things about, I guess, like, becoming a de facto or marrying some with autism if you have autism, is that autism people like having their own space. Mm. And the thing is, like, you, you moved in with me, as I said, very suddenly. And it had been my space, and suddenly it was not my space. Mm. And this has kind of been this ongoing thing with our, like, over the 12 years, of sometimes I'll have space, like, I'll kind of have this little space that I feel like, this is my space. But then, logically, like, for logical reasons, sometimes you invade that space, and I'm like, okay, well, I guess logically it makes sense, but that was my space. (laughs) I, I should be able to, you know leave that box there because this was my room. Mm. And now, yeah, now I lost control over whether I, you know, leave that box there. Like, it, like it's almost like I lost control over being able to be imperfect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I get that. Well, con- control is a big thing for people with autism. And I know that from a personal experience is that knowing, being able to decide something and have that kind of autonomy is crucial, but it often... It, it, that kind of feeling pervades into the smaller matter. So it's not mm. just about the big stuff like driving or money. Sometimes it's just about the position of a book or where a lamp goes. Like it, that kind of stuff is important. Or what a lamp is. Right? Like yeah. Paul Paul bought us lamps and I'm like, I can't read using this lamp. Yeah, because the lampshade was like blocking the light. And like, so now we have these two lamps, one with no lampshade. Cause I'm like, it has to be practical. And Paul's like, okay, well, my one's going to be pretty. Yeah. So they don't match after all. Well, no, they can match if we needed to present it. That's true. Like, yeah. All we did was remove the lampshade rather than yes. buying a whole new like, lamp yes. for you. Yes. But that was a concession that I kind of came to because I recognised that for me, it was just an image thing. It was just yeah. how it looked, which realistically is not that important in 99% of circumstances. Mm. So if we choose to sell the house, for example, but leave our furniture in it, okay, a bit of uniformity is important. But... On a day-to-day level, yeah, if you need the lamp to read and you're not getting enough light because the lampshade, the shape of the lampshade is blocking it, mm. then yeah, taking it off is not a big deal. Yes. But that, but it used to be a big it deal. It used to be a big deal. Like, that was a massive... That would have been a massive thing for me, you know, a decade ago. Maybe not even a decade ago. Yeah. Um, and as I've gotten older, maybe because from, from working in this space as well, uh, you know, in the, looking after people with autism, I think I've just learnt a lot of lessons about the things that are important and the things that are not. And I think... But one of the things that I did realise about myself is that I don't often know when I'm stressed like, on an internal level. I, I know when I'm at... Like, I can feel it externally. So, I, I get snippy and, and I get tense and I get, like, neck aches and stuff. But mm-hmm. internally, I didn't realise how miserable I was. And when you're miserable and when you feel like you're helpless and your life is out of your control, you try to control the smaller things harder and harder. Yes. So, one of the things that I've had to learn about being in a relationship is you have to kind of recognise yourself. You have to develop an insight into your own emotions and how that impacts on your partner mm-hmm. um, because in a way it's not to say that your emotions are not justified but you just need to figure out a way to deal with it that doesn't necessarily mean that you lash out at the person who you have to spend the most time with 
So looking at, obviously there is love there, but looking at it on a practical level. So if we break it down into sort of a social skills kind of lesson, you know, you need to know when you're upset and how to find a way to deal with it so that you don't, you don't misdirect the frustration and anger. So I can recognize sometimes when you leave mugs around the house. I know that on most days it doesn't bother me. I just pick it up and I go put it in the dishwasher. Mm. But when I'm having a really crappy day, it annoys me. But rather than getting annoyed at you for not doing it, I kind of go, wait, this isn't about the mug. I've been able to deal with the mug before. It's fine. What is the other problem? What is the Mm. thing that I'm really mad about right now? And so I come back to the bigger picture and I look at it. And 99% of the time for me, it's work stress because I find work stressful. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I've had to spend time le- developing that skill in order to make sure that you are and I are as peaceful as possible when we do interact. Yes. Uh, I, I, I think one of the things I've kind of learned is that even if I think you're not listening to something, you probably aren't listening more than I realise. So I feel like sometimes... I just say something and it seems like you've completely rejected it. But then a little while later, like it must be in the back of your mind, because a little while later you'll be like, actually, that does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I've learned to not assume. And I think this is also something that um, really I've seen, I've noticed in myself that other people have sometimes told me something and I'm like, no, you're wrong. But then it's in the back of my mind. Mm. Strangely, I, I got, yeah, before you, my previous relationship, some, my brother told me that it was not going well for me and it wasn't healthy. And I was like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. But it was sort of in the back of my mind and I'm like, actually, he does have a point. But it took me a while. So you, sometimes you just have to say it and then just walk away. Yeah. Uh, so, Paul, I want to ask you, what is, li- what is it like to deal with me when I, I guess I'm in meltdown mode? Which for me is sort of this sudden anger at injustice. So, like, for instance, earlier this year, we were in, we were traveling and there was a situation where I felt like your mum was being ripped off. She didn't care, but I really cared and I got really angry and everyone got really worried about me because that's not normally me. Um, so you, you, like, you dealt with it quite well, but I just thought I'd ask you what it's like to deal with, um, I guess, my meltdowns. I mean, there, there are sort of two parts to it. From a, from a personal perspective, I don't like conflict. I generally avoid it when, when I'm faced with it. Um, and I, I find it hard to deal with other people's emotions. So I, my default reaction is to go passive. But because it's, it's how I react when I'm overwhelmed, I, I kind of I shut down, right? But, but it can be in a very kind of facilitating way, you know? But um, it's, it's a struggle, you know, and I have to kind of, I've had to sort of snap into gear and try to focus on the things I can control and to say, all right, so, you know, you're upset right now. Let's get you out of the situation, get everyone separated from you, give you what you need, and you'll come back to it later. We can talk about it when you're in the right frame of mind, um, but ultimately, um, it, it, there's no value in dealing with it now because it's only going to make things worse. Because one of the things that, I find with you particularly is that similar to Matt, when you do have a meltdown, it's sudden and it's severe and it's completely out of character. And so for when with with my autism, I have expectations. I'm like I thought you were the calm person. So when you do this, I thing think you once described it as me having two personalities. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Which it which it isn't. It is all. It's all you. But mm-hmm. you are 
your experiences have given you a better, greater ability to regulate your emotions to figure it out in certain circumstances, but in other situations, it does, it hits a nerve with you, and it is almost explosive when it does happen. So it's kind of a bit of a shock to the system, you know? It, it can be difficult. I think what I do is, yeah, I just focus on what I can control. I figure out what I can do and what I know. Um, but it's always about time. And it's always about space mm-hmm. for me. I'm always like, okay, you just, you just need to, I just, I know this will end. I know it'll, it'll, he'll figure it out. It won't be this perpetual thing. It's not going to lead anything bad, but he needs what he needs. And trying to solve the situation in the immediacy has no value. So I need to just get him out of it, figure it out myself. And then later we can talk about it and, and come to a conclusion. And, often it then becomes a, a problem-solving, a future problem-solving thing. Mm-hmm. Then I'm like, all right, if this happens again, what am I meant to do? And I'm, I think I, I may have even asked you that question previously. <laughs> so like, in, if this happens again, how am I meant to act here? Because I'm not sure. Because mm-hmm. the other thing that you and I do differently is that you're a problem-solver and I'm a listener, right? So, and uh, well, no, and, and sometimes like, we shake it up a little bit, but that, I think... Well, yeah, I think naturally I'm a problem solver. I think the listening has, I've trained myself to do, because I know problem solving is not always the answer. Yeah, whereas I, I often just need to be listened to and agreed with, mm-hmm. um, and you don't do that. Uh, naturally. You don't do yes, that naturally. but I've Again, learned you that. We've we balanced each other out better as mm-hmm. things have gone on, but one of the things I've learned with you is that you, you do like the problem solving up to a degree. Mm-hmm. Again, it doesn't work in the immediate in the immediate sense. Like if it's happening at the time, problem solving doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But eventually you like to talk it out and plan it out and, and that and that's what works. But I had to learn that uh, by experience. I didn't it wasn't mm-hmm. something that you said to me. It's just kind of something <laughs> I figured out. So yeah, that's I think that's how I generally kind of manage what what infrequent meltdown you have. Yes. Um you know, I, I, that's how I figured it out. And even then I'm, you know, because it happens so infrequently, I'm still not even sure if I do that exact process next time, it'll work. You know, it, it, it's kind of, it is frightening. Like when for someone who is not, not comfortable with conflict or mm. arguments, not knowing when I can approach you is really, is really, yeah, it, it makes, it scares me. Yeah. Um, but again, I think, Overall, we've developed this rhythm where you, I, I might say to you, when you're ready, you come to me. Mm. That way, just it just takes it out of it. So even though that's about me, at the same time, it it's how we balance each other out. Yeah, but I think in Vietnam also, you did take the kids. So it's kind of like, you be alone, and me and the kids are going to go do this thing, and you can join us mm. if you want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, just because I think from not from, that I was in like I was a threat to anyone. No, 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 nothing like that. It's just, you just needed to not have to think about mm. anything. You just needed to not be responsible. Because, you know, being a parent, you're constantly on. Like, your brain is mm. constantly working. And so, even though it may seem like you're, you know, playing or whatever, it's still brain work. Yeah, the it, mental load. Right? It's, yeah. And it's very different when you're on your own, you can control your environment. So, when you're feeling like something's unjust, and you feel like something you're helpless and you're out of control, mm. the last thing you need is to have more parts of your your time out of your control. So it is it is better for your emotional well-being, I found, to simply just let you be mm-hmm. and then give you give you back that power and to say when you are ready, if you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. If you don't, you don't. But you decide what happens next. But ultimately we just remove the stresses from the environment, anything that might require, you know, responsibility or thinking. And just so that you can focus on you. Yeah. I remember some early fights which were 
hilarious in hindsight. Um, like the time we had quite a large argument, which I think was our first ever fight about whether the ending of Watchmen, Watchmen movie or Watchmen comic made more sense. And it got heated. Yeah, and it was in a restaurant. It was in a restaurant. This was in public. And not not like, you know, throwing dishes public, but really quite aggressive. But it was like almost like um something you'd see on The Simpsons with comic book guy or something. Like like why either of us cared so much is kind of beyond me. Uh, But we did. We did. No, but part of it, I think for me, because one of the things I've learned about myself is that my expectations are naturally high. I don't try to expect things to be perfect. It's just part of it. And again, I say that's the autism thing. So... What I think at that point we've been we've been dating for a while, like not not ages and ages, but a while enough. And I thought we were going pretty well. But the problem was is that that set my expectations too high. Mm. I then decided, okay, this guy is great for me. We're agreeing on so many levels, and so the moment we disagreed was really upsetting emotionally because all of a sudden I'm like, this guy doesn't get me. He doesn't understand what I think. And again, it was a small issue. It had it was doesn't understand why this movie made. Right, it made more sense. He does, than the he's not. He's not agreeing with me. Therefore, he doesn't understand me. Which is, which are two completely different things. I now mm. know, but early on, <clears throat> when I'm thinking about yeah, perfection and about expectations, that I, I think for me that's why I got really upset. Whether that applies to you, I don't know. I don't know why. I think we both just thought we were right enough. Like we both, we were both believing enough in a completely unimportant rightness. Mm. Um, and I think we just built off each other's energy to some degree. Maybe. But again, um, you're... Like, you're... I, don't, I think I was expecting you to be perfect. Um, so I don't, think I, I don't think I was upset that you disagreed with me. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't think that applied as much to me. Yeah, because... Because I think your expectations in our relationship were always higher than mine. Yes, that certainly is true. Yeah. You're always the one who was kind of like, oh, you know, saying things like, this shouldn't be hard. Whereas I would say things like, a relationship works if both people fight for it. If one if one person is just not interested in fighting for it, it's going to fall apart. Yeah. And this comes back to what I was talking about with this patient of mine, is that relationships aren't easy. Mm. That you can, you can teach someone all roughly the right things to say, but unless there's a level of understanding, a level of cooperation, a mm. little a level of just willingness to put in the effort to go beyond, look beyond the bad stuff and to focus on the good stuff and to understand that relationships don't work because they're perfect. They, they work because you want them to work. Yes. The, the, if you can't grasp that, and, and that took me years. Yeah. As, as it took a, you years of being in a relationship. Right? So get, asking this guy to grasp it before he's even in a relationship. Yeah, right? And then and then to ask him to put a another person through the potential trauma of a really awful relationship so that he could learn, like, it's mm. just... It's not a reasonable thing to do. So... You know, that's that's the thing. From my own experience, I know that relationships are a struggle and they can be worth it. And I'd say that you and I are in a really good place now, but it wasn't always like this. No. You know? So how and and how do how do you teach someone that? And how do you expect someone you need the guy needs a practice relationship. Like that's what he needs. He needs someone who's like who could just wasn't that to... what happened in um was it atypical? We wanted someone to be his practice girlfriend. Was that atypical? Maybe. It sounds like an atypical plot. Yeah. Line. Yeah. It was definitely one of those autistic-based um, shows. I think it was atypical. Yeah. Where he, started, he referred to someone as his practice girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. So, I like, I get that. I think all you can really do is, set, like, 
teach them to set their expectations. Because mm-hmm. I, th- I think that is the only thing you've got to do before the relationship that would, I guess, have saved you time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, make sure they don't expect it to be a rom-com. But even then, that's what I'm saying. For, for me, my expectations were not deliberate. I didn't go oh, out no, of no, my no. way I'm to say... I'm just saying, like, if you're talking about what... Okay, so... So, from a, like... We'll say parenting. Like, so... We'll pretend for this that this is the ghost of, you know, Jake's future. Mm. Like, what can we do to stop Jake ending up in the same situation as this person or you early in a relationship? The only thing I can think of is to make sure his expectations... Like, he doesn't expect perfection. Um, And probably how I do that is later in his life, I'd probably be very honest about what we went through. Mm. Because I think the problem is that if we pretend we didn't go through any of that, yes, then he, there's no way for him to, I guess, learn a lesson. Though I am generally against the idea that kids have to learn the lessons from their parents. I feel like kids have to make their own mistakes. Yes, and that, I guess that's my... I agree with that entirely. And that's my thing too, is that I know that I've had a number of moments uh, in my life as an adult where I've gone, oh my God, my mum was right. Like, all the things she used to say to me, she just, she had the same expectation. She's sort of like, if I tell you, then you won't make the same mistakes that I will. Which is, I understand as an adult, is completely reasonable. Mm. As a 16-year-old, I was a little jerk. Like, I was like, <laughs> no, you you know, I, I want to learn my own lessons, I want to make my own mistakes, I want to do everything by myself. You can't stop me, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's tough. Because my point is, is that if... Jake has these natural expectations of perfectionism. It doesn't matter if we tell him to have different expectations, right? It's it's about... We can tell him all that, but until he learns to... Or until he experiences and connects the lesson with that kind of tangible feeling, he may not necessarily get it. Or it may not really sink in until he's kind of gone through the trauma of a crappy breakup or an awful relationship and you want like you desperately want to protect your kids from any harm but mm. sometimes it's just kind of something you have to let with a relationship specifically it's something you just kind of have to let them do you know you can give them give them the lesson and just leave it there and be there when if and when things fall apart um yeah like i think there's a difference between what the best we can do and something that would i guess Fix everything. Yeah. I think there's things we can do, but then we also have to set our expectations to not be perfect, that that'll have any effect. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that, that's anything I can think of as a, from a parenting point of view to help children with their relationships with autism. That's the only thing I can think of to just be honest that it's not going to be easy. But I think, what for me, one of the things that I've had to learn is the difference between subconscious and conscious thought. And so the next step, the next bit beyond that for me would be to say to Jake, for example, that you're going to have some things that you're going to expect, which you're not trying to expect, Mm -hmm. right? You can't stop yourself from expecting it. What you can do is just challenge it whenever it comes up. So every time you start thinking, why can't my partner read my mind? Why don't they understand me? Why do I have to explain myself every time? Which is something that I went through a lot as well. I'm like, why do I have to explain this to you? You love me. I love you. Why don't you just get it? Which is... So stupid. but <laughs> Which combined very weirdly with my paranoia. Yeah, right? Right? Um, so Which is why I just, I just say, you need to tell me, because there's probably... For every time you're actually annoyed at me, there might be four times I'm guessing you're annoyed at me. So you need to tell me. Yeah, 
Exactly. And, and I've learned... Otherwise, I think you're annoyed all the time. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so, so it's about being able to say, just ch- challenge the expectations. Because not all expectations are unrealistic. So, you yes. know, if you choose to be in a monogamous relationship and your partner is not monogamous, that's an okay expectation. Yeah. Like, that is, that is set. You've agreed on that. That's fine. Mm. But yeah, the expectation of your partner reading your mind... All the relationships don't require work. Right. Like, true love means that everything's easy. Right. Yeah. Yep. Stupid movies. Um, yeah. Then <laughs> that's... Then these... We're leading books off the hook. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I don't read many romance books so that's probably no, that's why. true um, yeah but the, you know it's it's that's the lesson I'd want some, him to learn yeah. is just to know how to handle his own thoughts more than anything else because there's so many but see I think I'd also kind of be the weird father-in-law who might try to like counsel my daughter slash son-in-law <laughs> I would kind of do that too I'd, I'd pull like if, if things started getting serious I'd pull them aside and go okay here are some things you need to know about Jake or um or Matt. Yeah. Um, you know, th- this is what you should be aware of. This is how to prepare yourself. Yeah. And that's completely inappropriate. Or I might be like, so this is what Paul was like. So I'm just gonna guess Jake is gonna do similar things. <laughs> this is how I dealt with it. <laughs> These are things you can try. <laughs> mm. It. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I. I wish that. I look. You know. I think. Everyone is entitled to be in a romantic relationship if that's what they want. If they want to be... And in whatever form it may be, you know? Yes. I guess for someone with autism, it's about... Once again, it's about the world adapting versus them adapting. And what ba- what balance that is, it's hard to tell. It depends on the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I remember... Was it you who told me about how in South Korea... Um, so in South Korea, arranged marriages are pretty typical. Yeah, arranged marriages with foreign. Like, well, no. So, so historically, yes. Yeah, so historically, it's you know arranged marriages with other South Korean people. But what's happening is that in the modern era, South Korean women specifically are becoming more enlightened, becoming more independent. But there are still families out there, and I think maybe perhaps potential groups who think that it's still the place of the woman to be the housewife to mm-hmm. fill a certain role. So they're now having to import wives from the Philippines. Yes. Yeah. So there, there's apparently there's sort of this. So South Korean women are going. Actually, we don't like South Korean men. We don't like the values that they seem to have been instilled with and how they expect their wives to be. So the South Korean women are staying single. So the South Korean men. Uh, like importing brides from, I think the Philippines. Yeah, and there's actually like classes where like these these brides can be taught how to be good South Korean wives because the South Korean women don't want to do it because <laughs> they're like, no, I'd st- I'd prefer to stay single than actually marry a South Korean man. Mm. Yeah, and so I find it every now and then I kind of think to myself, maybe you know, autistic behaviors get embedded into cultures. You know, like there's a lot of times when, or not even just that, but there are certain cultural um, heritages where they would really suit a person with autism. So well, I, I'd say like, not even cultural, I just like, as in like different countries, I'd say sort of a different era of Australia. Mm. Like the thing is that we've had problems because... Like, we're, we're being, we're like, in a way, it's an upside that we have very balanced domestic um, duty working out. But that has also been a problem when your expectations of what my role as primary carer would include mm. weren't met. So, if 
you know, I was a woman who wasn't allowed to go to work and all I could do is look after the children and your, and your expectations were, you know, at the end of the day, you just come home and, I don't know, read the paper. Yeah. <laughs> while I present the children to you. Then, as an autistic person, that would probably work out well because everything meets the expectations. Mm. So, but it's probably good overall for society that that's not the case, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. That might be an understatement. <laughs> might be an understatement. But just, just to bring it to, to be more specific and a little bit smaller, so... What Grant's referring to is that very... When we had the kids, I had the expectation that Grant would also look after the house because he was at home. So in a very was, specific way. Yes. And also do chores in a specific way. Yeah, to do it the way that I would want him to do. So yes. washing and... Or in the and, 50s, you probably wouldn't get any... You wouldn't, you wouldn't have told me how to do the washing. That's true, but someone else would have told you how to do the washing. Your mother. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? It would have been passed down heritages. Yes. Um, where... Your mother and my mother could fought over which way I should do the washing, but you would not be involved. No. As the autistic man, you'd be just... Work and come home and read the paper. Exactly. Uh, but obviously I learned... I only enjoy a limited amount of domestic duties. You don't really like it at all, uh, unless absolutely necessary. So, I like to do it perfectly, which is just unreasonable. What do you mean? Oh, yeah. So you either do it all or don't do it at all. Yeah, I do yeah, it. All or nothing. Yeah. yeah. I do it all or nothing, which means that your your way of doing it... Yeah. Like, when you do it, I'm like, okay, well... I didn't want to do it, so it's okay that he didn't do it as well as I would have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so so one of the key things you and I have had to learn about domestic duties is that we have to decide for ourselves how important it is to us. Yes. So if, and, and if it is important to you, you take responsibility for it. So Which it mostly applies to me, but it's very, we've kind of come to that conclusion, and it actually works fine. Yeah. So... You know, it means that if like I like the washing hung a certain way, but I don't force you to do that, which mm. I did before. Like that was a mistake that I made previously, and it caused fights. Um, whereas it's a completely unnecessary thing to fight over, but it was just part of my overall thing. There, used to, there way. used to be this thing with the washing where, like, I I liked it to be put into the wash in a very certain way, mm. and then you liked it hung in a certain way and put away in a certain way. Yeah. So if you put the washing on for me and I took it out to hang it, I get really annoyed at the fact that you hadn't put the washing, you hadn't fixed all the washing the way I would before it went to the washing machine. So then it was harder for me to hang it. And then you get annoyed at the way I hung it. Yep. And then if I put it away, you'd be like, what are you doing? And I'd be like, well, no one, like, because you'd like to ask me to rotate the kids' clothes. And I'm like, the kids will search for that Pikachu shirt, no matter where it is. <laughs> Putting it on the bottom is just a waste of my time. <laughs> but yeah, so we've now worked it out that, uh, yeah, if we care, we do things. Um, and th there's no point where one person doing a job leads and the other person getting annoyed at them. Mm. So we've got the system working at the moment. Yeah, but it was a trial and error. So Yes. And we, we also had to... Um, I guess, learn with parenting, which is probably not so much a romantic relationship, but I'll put it in here anyway. Um, not to undermine each other in the exact opposite way. Because <laughs> mm. you would be very strict and then you'd feel I'd undermined you by comforting upset children. And then I would be like very carefully and calmly trying to get, you know, a child to put their clothes on and you'd come and yell at them. <laughs> Mm. And then they'd be crying and I'd be like, no, I need to leave the house. You've just made it harder. And there was a point where I think I came up to you as you were leaving the house in the car. And I said, you've just made my life harder and made the kids cry. And then you felt, I, I was probably a bit harsh that I probably should have. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just went, if I never tell him, he'll ne never know mm. uh, that he just made things harder by doing this. 
Um, so yeah, we had to learn kind of just go, okay, the other person has started dealing with it. They're, we're going to, I'm going to let them deal with it. Even if it's not the way I would have done it. Mm. It's kind of like whoever's first there might be a bit like, you know, I feel like I've heard this from like hospitals where the first person to like the, is in charge of the met call. Is in charge of the met call. It's kind of like the first person there is in charge of dealing with a child and the other person doesn't go in there and try to like fix everything in the middle of it. Mm. Because then you just end up undermining each other. Well, that's actually going to be a nice segue to the next episode. So the third episode in this trilogy will be family and autism. There you go. So we'll cover a bit about parenting. We'll cover a bit about our... I thought maybe it was going to be dogs. After <laughs> after my, like, just just to finish it off. Get just to finish it off. Going. Just how to get a dog. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll talk... So the next episode will be about family. So it'll be about our, you know, our own family, but also how we interact with our parents and the kind of lessons we've learned. Um, and putting in the context of autism being diagnosed late in life for me... Um, you know, all these little things. So keep an eye on that. Uh, and that's probably a nice place to end it, I'd say. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, so thanks for listening. Uh, if you have any other opinions, if you want to uh, connect with us, let us know at the Atypical Rainbow on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, and be sure to keep an eye out for the next episode about family and autism. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.